Well, thank you, guys. You know, um, I've stopped. I've stopped looking for the signs of the coming of Christ, and I'm listening for the sound of His coming. I think we're past the signs. Everybody talks about what are the signs of the coming of Christ. I think we're past that. Uh, we better start listening for the trumpet. Uh, because uh, soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. And uh, I hope you're ready for that. I hope you're ready to meet him. Because if you're not, uh, it will not go well for you, according to the scripture. The philosopher Plato once pondered the question, what would happen if a perfect man ever came to live on this imperfect planet? That's Plato's question. What would happen if a perfect man ever came to live on this imperfect planet? Think about what Isaiah saw in the sixth chapter of Isaiah. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne and his robe filled the temple seraphim were standing above him each one had six wings with two he covered his face with two he covered his feet with two he flew and one called to the other holy 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 is the lord of hosts his glory fills the earth the foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. What would happen if that perfect God came to live on this imperfect planet? Plato went on to answer his own question, and I think rightfully so. Listen to, listen to what he says about that whole idea. What if the great God stepped off the throne and came to live on this earth as one of us, Plato said? The just man, now listen, the just man would be thrown into prison, scourged and racked, have his eyes burnt out, and after every kind of torment, he would be impaled without even realizing it, Plato accurately described the world's response to the Lord Jesus Christ when he came to this earth. Jesus was born in obscurity. He was raised as a marginalized Galilean peasant. And from the beginning of his ministry, he had to endure the persecution of those around him who thought they were more religious than he was until finally he, goes, he undergoes the cruelest and deepest humiliation that this world can dish out. I want you to turn to the, 30, to the 18th chapter of John's Gospel. We're going to look at the 37th verse. For those of you who may be new to Valley Grove or this is the first time in a long time, you have uh, either worshiped with us in person or online. I'm in the midst of a year-long series of messages uh, based on a book that was written by Dr. O.S. Hawkins called The Joshua Code. Uh, interesting book, and I'd encourage you to get it. It's a, it's a wonderful book. In fact, Dr. Hawkins has written, uh, there may be 10 or 12 of these code books now. There's a James Code. There's a prayer code. But The Joshua Code was the first one that I was introduced to years and years ago. And... Uh, it basically says there are verses that every Christian ought to know and ought to understand. And that's what we've been doing, going through uh, what I think are the 52 verses that every Christian ought to know. And this is one of them that I think, this is one that maybe you haven't memorized, but uh, it's a verse that I think you ought to know and understand. In honor and reverence of the reading of God's inspired, infallible, inerrant word, I want you to look at John 18, verse 37. Pilate therefore said to him, speaking to Jesus, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I've come into the world, 
that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Father, bless us as we look at this verse and we give uh, consideration this morning to what happens when the perfect God of the universe steps foot on this imperfect world in which we live and what are the ramifications of that and the applications of that in my own life today. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to keep in mind that John... Uh, of all the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew writes primarily to a Jewish audience. If you want a good Jewish perspective of the gospel, you read the gospel of Matthew. Mark, uh, Mark's gospel is characterized by the word immediately. Mark's intent was to get the message out there as quickly as he possibly could. Mark doesn't give us a birth narrative. Uh, he just jumps right into the ministry of Jesus because he's trying to get the gospel. His, by the way, is the first of the four gospels that was written. Luke is writing an account of history, more or less, but from a Gentile perspective. And then you've got John. Of all the gospel writers, John had as his aim the purpose of revealing the deity of Jesus. He wanted to talk about the glory of God. You go back into the very first chapter, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He begins by laying this foundation of the deity of Jesus Christ, the glory of Jesus. And yet, more than any of the other gospel writers, John goes into the greatest detail about the humiliation of Jesus in his final hours. Why is it that one who is hoping to glorify Jesus why is it that somebody who wants to talk about the deity and the glory of God, why is it that he would spend so much time describing the humiliation of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, simply this. In the final hours of Jesus' life, he accomplished the greatest work he ever accomplished. Throughout his life, he healed the sick, he gave sight to the blind. He even raised the dead in the person of Lazarus. But in these final hours, Jesus accomplishes his greatest of all works. That's why later on when the apostle Paul is writing, here's what Paul says about this. Paul says, I will not glory in anything except what? The cross of Christ. I want glory in anything but the cross of Jesus. So when I read the last, the accounts of the last hours of Jesus' life, I'm reminded that those of us who have been called into ministry, we've been called, we've been gifted, we've been equipped by the greatest missionary who ever lived. He endured the shame of the cross, and yet not one time did he ever waver from the task that had been given to him by God the Father. When I think of great missionaries, I think of names like Paul the Apostle. I think of William Carey, Adoniram Judson, Lottie Moon, Knoxville's own Bill Wallace, but the greatest missionary who ever lived was Jesus Christ. All those other missionaries, all the missionaries who have ever lived and who have served have patterned their lives after Jesus. But none of them have ever attained his greatness. Some of those missionaries have suffered greatly. Many of our missionaries who serve today around the world are suffering greatly for the cause of Jesus Christ. Some missionaries like Bill Wallace of China, and if you've never read that book, that's the title of the book, Bill Wallace of China, you need to read that. Uh, he grew up right down uh, Chapman Highway when it turns into Broadway. He grew up at Broadway Baptist Church in uh, North Knoxville. He was a medical doctor, uh, but Bill Wallace was killed, martyred, 
for his faith while he served in China. But Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. So when we look at this verse from John's Gospel that we just read, I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit will make us see the great need that we have in our lives to be more like Jesus. That should be the desire of every believer in this room, is that every day of our lives we become more and more like Jesus. There's an old uh, poem that reads this way, earthly pleasures vainly call me, I would be like Jesus. Nothing worldly shall enthrall me, I would be like Jesus. He has broken every fetter, I would be like Jesus, that my soul may serve him better, I will be like Jesus. All the way from earth to glory, I would be like Jesus, telling o'er and o'er the story, I would be like Jesus. And that's my desire. That's my desire this morning. I pray it's your desire. And no matter what happens in our lives, no matter what happens in the world in which you and I live, that our greatest desire in our life would to be like Jesus. If we're going to be missionaries like Jesus, then we need to see what Jesus saw. We need to look at the world the way Jesus looked at the world. So I want to just share a few thoughts with you this morning that I had about what I believe Jesus saw while he walked on this earth. Let's put this verse into a little bit of context. Jesus is standing in Pilate's hall, led as a lamb to the slaughter. He made no effort to clear his name. He made no effort to get his revenge. He made no effort to uh, try to convince people uh, uh, who he was. He was ready to die. He was ready to go to the cross in order that you and I might have eternal life. If you back up to verse number 33, Pilate asked Jesus uh, for the first time, are you the king of the Jews? That's the charge. That's the charge that had been brought against Jesus that day, that he was claiming to be king of the Jews. Now, Pilate, understand this, Pilate was used to this. Pilate was used to people being brought up on charges all the time. There were people uh, all the time being, uh, raised, who would raise up and be raised up by the masses of people who claimed to be the Messiah. And uh, Pilate couldn't care less about that. He doesn't care about being the Messiah. What he does care about is that they have said that Jesus is going around claiming to be the king of the Jews. Well, that sort of hones in on, on Pilate's territory. Pilate's having none of that. And so when anybody came along claiming to be the Messiah, claiming to, claiming to be a king, claiming to be a ruler who was, at least in Pilate's mind, going to try and overtake the Roman authority, they were dealt with swiftly and they were dealt with harshly. And so he says, are you the king of the Jews? And I want you to go back and look at what Jesus says to him then. Jesus said, is that something you say or did somebody else put that thought in your head? Is this what you're saying? Are you saying this on your own about me? Or have others told you this? In other words, Jesus looks at Pilate and said, who said that? Who told you that? Who told you that I was king of the Jews? Is that something that you've heard? Is that something you've deduced for yourself? Even as Jesus prepares to go to Calvary, by this time, he's already gone through the Garden of Gethsemane. He's already prayed, Lord, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, thy will be done. So from the standpoint of, is, am I going to the cross? Jesus knows he's going to the cross. There is no other way. God is not, has not given to him. He's prayed all night long. He's prayed fervently all night long that this cup would pass. But he says, I want the will of God to be done in my life. And basically, he has the peace in his spirit that the will of God is for him to go to the cross. So when he gets to this point, 
and he, he encounters Pilate. Even on the way to Calvary, he says, Pilate, I want you to stop for a minute. I want you to think about the implications of the charge that you just made. Are you the king of the Jews? Well, is that, is that something you heard? Or did you come to that conclusion yourself? I realize that this is only a what if. It didn't happen. It, whether it could or couldn't have happened, I don't want to argue that with you, uh, and I don't intend to. Uh, but I'm going to play just a what if game for just a minute. What if Pilate had truly been inquisitive that day? What if when Pilate said, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, is that something that you've heard or is that something that you've come up with on your own? How'd you get that information? Suppose Pilate had truly been inquisitive that day. Suppose he had been truly interested in discovering who Jesus was. You know, he wasn't. He was only concerned about the fact that this guy claims to be the king of the Jews and uh, king means Rome loses its authority. Rome loses its authority. I lose my paycheck. I'm not having none of that. But suppose he had truly been inquisitive that day. In Pilate's eyes, Jesus was just some sort of fanatical Jew who had done nothing. We know that, that he's going to come to the conclusion. He's going to say he really has done nothing that is worthy of death. I don't know why you all want to kill him. Uh, basically, I think in Pilate's mind, he decided that Jesus was a public nuisance and not much more than that. But suppose he had gone on and began to ask questions. Suppose he had gone on and had a conversation with Jesus. Suppose he had truly been inquisitive that day and Jesus, even on his way to the cross, had been able to lead Pilate into eternal life. You see, up to the very moment of Jesus' death, now I'm going to tell you, if I'm on my way to the cross, I got one thing on my mind. How can I escape? How can I get out of this? You can ask me any question you want to. I don't want to talk to you. I'm not interested in anything you have to say. I'm on my way to the cross. I need to get out of this. I don't want to die. Not Jesus. Jesus had come to the conclusion that he was going to the cross. But even on his way to the cross, he stops to have a conversation with Pilate. And if Pilate had just been a little more inquisitive, who knows what have happened, what, what could have happened in Pilate's life. Unfortunately, Pilate wasn't interested in the answer to that question. So Jesus gives an explanation in verse 36 of his kingdom. He says, my kingdom's not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom's not from here. And then Pilate looks at Christ and simply says, so you are saying you're a king. <laughs> are you a king then? And Jesus looked Pilate right straight in the eye, and in verse 37 he says, you said that. You say that I'm a king. I want you to look at the next part of that verse. Look at what he says next. You say that I'm a king. I was born for this. For what? For what's happening right now. He's, he's, he's telling Pilate, I was born for this very thing. And I have come to this world for this. I've come to testify to the truth. And then he says, anybody, everybody who is of the truth does what? Listens to my voice. So get the picture in your mind. Jesus stands in the judgment hall. He's a witness at this point to the truth. But what do you know about what Jesus has already said? He's not just a witness to the truth. What is he? He is the truth. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now he says, everyone who listens to the truth or, or uh, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. You get what he's saying? Do you understand what he's saying? Basically, he is saying every honest man or woman, if they'll just listen to me, they'll hear me. They'll just listen. They'll know who I am. Don't, 
don't ever listen to me preach. Don't ever listen to any preacher who's preaching the Bible. Don't ever listen to any preacher who's preaching the Bible preach and walk away from that saying, I wonder if what he says is true. I wonder if Jesus really is who he claimed to be. No, don't ever, because if, if what the pastor who is preaching, if he's preaching from God's word, listen, you will hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, and the voice of the Holy Spirit will confirm within your heart that what I'm saying is true. I've never saved a soul. I don't have that ability. Nobody's ever got saved because of my eloquence. Nobody's ever got saved because of my education. I'm, I'm too foolish to preach anything but Christ. But I'm also too smart to preach anything but Christ. Because the only means of salvation in this world is through Jesus Christ. And when you listen to somebody who preaches from the Scripture itself, you're going to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit who is going to confirm within your heart and is going to say, Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. If Pilate had only listened. There he stood in the midst of the truth. You say, boy, if I had been standing there, I would have believed. Well, you stand here every Sunday morning. Every Sunday morning, you stand here and you listen to the scriptures preached. Do you hear the voice of Jesus? Do you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit confirming in your heart that what you hear is true? Jesus said, everyone who hears, who is of the truth, listens to my voice. If you really want to know, you can know. On occasion, I'll share my faith with somebody and I'll talk to them about their relationship with the Lord and I'll say, do you know that you're going to heaven when you die? You know what the most common answer I get is? I hope so. I hope so. That's the saddest answer in the world. I hope so. I would hate to think that there is anybody in this room this morning who is living a hope so kind of faith. If you really want to know who Jesus is, you can know. If you really want to have the assurance of knowing that he is your Lord and Savior, you can know that. That is not something that is unknowable. That is a very knowable thing. So how is it, how is it then that, you say, I thought this was about missions. It is, I'm getting there, hold on. Don't run ahead of me. How is it then that I can have confidence? How can I have confidence in the message so that I can go to anybody in the world? Doesn't matter who they are. Doesn't matter what color is their skin. Doesn't matter what country they come from. It doesn't matter who they are. I can go to anybody in the world and I can look them in the eye. How do I get the confidence to be able to say to anybody in the world, God loves you, Jesus died for you, and if you will repent of your sins, you can know him. How do you get there? How do you get to that point? You see the world the way Jesus saw it. How did he see it? Number one, Jesus saw a world that was lost in sin. When Jesus looked at the world, he saw the sin problem. Jesus, by the way, was well aware of the origin of sin. God didn't create sin. God did not create evil. Evil is, that's, that's impossible based on the character of God. But we know that uh, Satan, who was known as Lucifer in his other days when he was still up in heaven, rebelled against God, got kicked out of heaven. And so God, uh, Jesus was well aware of what had happened. Now, uh, the Mormons will try to tell you, and so be very careful. Uh, listen, Mormons are not Christians. I just want to go on record as saying that. They are not Christians. They claim to be, but they're not. And here's why. They do not believe that Jesus is the only son of God. All right? 
So when you talk to a Mormon, if they come to your house riding a bicycle, I, I feel so sorry for them. They're riding their bicycle trying to get to heaven, working their way into heaven, and they're never going to get anywhere, right? Mormons believe that Jesus and Satan were brothers. They believe that God had a contest to decide what to do with the world. And Satan came with his plan. Lucifer, excuse me. Lucifer came with his plan. Jesus came with his plan. And they presented their plan to God. And God made a choice. God chose the plan that Jesus came up with as opposed to the plan that uh, Lucifer came up with. Well, it made him mad as the devil. <laughs> and so he got kicked out of heaven. All right? That's what Mormons teach. They believe God had two sons, among other things that are just wacky and crazy and, and not biblical. So a Mormon is not a Christian, regardless of what they tell you. And if you have some in your family, uh, you need to be praying for them and you need to be witnessing to them and you need to be sharing the gospel with them because they have been, uh, they've been blinded by what they're being taught. Jesus was well aware of the origin of sin. He was well aware that it began in, uh, with Lucifer in heaven when he rebelled against God. Jesus was well aware that the very first sin committed on this earth was committed by Adam and Eve. And he, he knew that Adam and Eve had been driven from the garden. But Jesus was, even though he was aware of the history of sin, his heart was broken by it. That's important right there. If we're going to see the, the world the way Jesus sees the world, our hearts have to be broken by sin. It has to, our hearts have to be broken by our own sin, and our hearts have to be broken by the sin of the world. Jesus knew exactly where sin came from, and, and Jesus knew that all people are sinners. He was well aware. <laughs> My gracious, uh, Romans hadn't been written at that time, but he was well aware that Paul was going to write Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus was well aware of that. Jesus knew that uh, no one is righteous, no, not one, that there is none who is without sin, that sin has touched every life. Jesus was well aware of Romans 6, 23, even though it hadn't been written yet, for the wages of sin is death. So when Jesus looked at men and women, boys and girls, he saw the complete picture. He saw the complete picture of sin. He saw the awfulness of sin. And he saw it in a way that I don't think you and I understand. He saw the downward trend of man away from God. I see that in the world that you and I live in today. A continual downward trend, even among those who claim to be Christians. A downward trend away from God, not closer to God. And so we must go back to the way Jesus looked at the world. John 4, 35, Jesus said, Lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are white unto harvest. You realize when you look at the world that you live in that there are many, many lost people out there in that world. You realize when you look at that world that they're just waiting for somebody who will share with them the true gospel of Jesus Christ so that the Holy Spirit can confirm that gospel in their hearts so they can be saved. Not only must we look, but we must pray. Matthew 9, 38, pray therefore to the Lord of the harvest. You know what we pray for? We pray for lost people. And we should pray for lost people. That's what, the Bible doesn't say pray for lost people. It doesn't say that. It says pray for laborers. You call on somebody to pray and they'll say, Lord, bless the lost people. Why do you want God to bless lost people? I want God to save lost people. That's what I want. So Jesus says, pray therefore to the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. We have to see the world the way Jesus sees it. We have to pray to God. We have to go. That's what the Great Commission was all about. Go therefore into all the world. 
making disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The command is repeated over and over and over in the Bible that we're to go, 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 go. Unfortunately, too many churches in America today are sitting fat and sassy. We want to come in and we want to have somebody tickle our ears and tell us what we want to hear, feel good about ourselves when we go out the door, and we never give a second thought to the people who are lost around us every day, who are going to hell because they don't know Jesus Christ. And we will never, ever begin to make an impact in the world. How come we're so excited because we've got a full room in here? This room ought to be double this size. This this crowd ought to be twice as big, three times as big. Did you know that 80 plus percent of the residents of Sevier County, Tennessee, have no affiliation with anybody's church? You realize that there are more people out there not in church today than there are in church. I'm all for going to Denver. I went. If you want to go, I want you to go. But you know what I learned in Denver? There ain't a whole lot of difference between Denver and Seymour. That's what I learned. Denver is one of the most unchurched cities in America. There's a big difference between, there is a difference between the people in Denver and the people in Seymour. If I go door knocking out here in Seymour, do you know what I'm going to hear? Well, I'm a member at blah, 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 blah church. Do you go? Well, I hadn't been and I don't know when. Listen, I had this happen to me, hadn't been too very long ago. I met this person and they said, where do you go to church? I said, I go to Valley Grove. And they said to me, I've been here almost eight years, my friends. I'm a member at that church. I said, oh, you are? I said, who's the pastor? (laughs) It's a little devilish, I'm sorry. I repented and God forgave me. So I said, who's the pastor? If I'm lying, I'm crying, and there ain't a tear in my eye. She said to me, the last time I was there, I think his name was Minot, if I'm not mistaken. For those of you who are new to the area, Harry Minot has not been pastor at this church for over 20 years. Her story is not that unusual. There are people all over this city, Knoxville, Seymour, Sevierville, all over the Tri-County region, Knox, Blunt, Sevier, who are members at somebody's church because they walked an aisle and they shook somebody's hand and they got dunked in somebody's water, but they never had an experience with Jesus Christ. And you and I need to share the gospel with them. And I'm going to tell you, in many ways, they're harder to reach than the people in Denver. But the Bible says go. We've got a group right now that has gone. (laughs) They're in Ukraine. Doing work with um, special needs children. Doing a great work there. You could go. You could go to Denver. We're going to Dubai. You could go there. You could go next door. You could go across the street. But you'll never do that. You and I will never do that until we begin to see the world the way Jesus saw the world. Here's the second thing. Jesus saw a world that desired to be saved, but they were blind to the Savior. 
They desire to be saved, but they are blind to the Savior. In Jesus' day, people were searching for salvation, but they were missing it. A perfect example of that describes in the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They had their form of religion. They were earnest in their devotions, and yet they turned away from Jesus Christ, and they turned, in essence, away then from God. And to these blinded, sin-blinded Pharisees, Jesus addressed many words. He didn't uh, usually mince words, and, and he called them vipers. He told them they were confused. He tried to shatter their self-complacency. He tried to destroy their self-righteousness. He tried to bring them face-to-face with themselves. In some cases, he was successful, but by and large, the people went on their way, blind to the Savior. They were so blind that they ended up crucifying the Son of God on the cross at Calvary. Today, the world that you and I live in is in the same condition. People are seeking something. They're looking for something that will give meaning to their lives, but they are often blind to the Savior. There are those who preach the salvation of, uh, uh, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But I want you to understand, this morning there are lots of churches that are meeting right now, and they will never once mention the name of Jesus. They won't talk about salvation. They won't talk about the need of man to come to God. There are churches on every corner And very little is said about Jesus or the power that he has to save. Religion has become a form and fashion for many people in our nation. People want salvation, but they want it their way. People want salvation, but they want it the easy way. They don't want it God's way. They don't want to do what God said do. They don't want to surrender their lives to God. I pray God will grant a revelation to us of the heart of Jesus. When he looked at the world and he was moved with compassion on them because the Bible says they were weary and worn out. I love that translation. Jesus looked at the world around them and he said, these folks are weary. They've been wandering. They're looking for happiness in all the wrong places. They're trying to find some kind of something that will satisfy a deep need in their life and they can't find it in drugs. They can't find it in alcohol. They can't find it in sex. They can't find it in the ways of the world. And he said they're weary. They're worn out. They're like sheep who don't have a shepherd. You want God to use you? I want you to be assured this morning, he wants to use you. He wants to use me. But we first must give ourselves to him in his service. To be a missionary for Christ here at home is going to mean that you're going to have to become a fool as far as the world's concerned. Are you willing to be foolish for Jesus? See, most of us are not. I I find way too many people today who want to be Christian, but they also want to be worldly. I want to call myself a Christian, and we've talked so much about the the individual relationship with Jesus Christ, and I don't want to minimize that because there there is an individual relationship with Christ in salvation. But I also want you to know that when you got saved, you were saved to be part of a family. You're not a lone ranger out there. I don't need church, is what I hear. I don't need to go to church. I'm a Christian, I don't need to go to church. No, when you got saved, you became a part of the family of God. And the the church is God's family gathered together to worship Him. And I see so many people today who want to claim Christianity, but who want to live in the world. And listen, I want to tell you something. There's no compromise in the gospel. You can't do both of those things. You cannot do that. You either are or you ain't. Pardon my French. 
you, you either are walking with Jesus or you're not walking with Jesus. There's not this middle line that says, I'm a Christian, but I don't do anything Christians do. I'm a Christian, but I do my own thing off by myself somewhere, and I love Jesus. Someone wrote, the easy roads are crowded and the level roads are jammed. The pleasant little rivers with drifting folks are crammed. But off yonder where it's rocky, where you get a better view, you will find the ranks are thinning and the travelers are few. Where the going's smooth and pleasant, you'll always find the throng. For the many, more's the pity, seem to like to drift along. But the steps that call for courage and the task that's hard to do in the end results in glory for the never wavering few. We need to see a world lost in sin. We need to see a world that is blind to the biblical Savior. And then the third thing and the final thing is Jesus, if we're going to be a missionary like Jesus, Jesus gave to the people the message of salvation and peace. Jesus was different from any other person who has ever lived. The message that he came to proclaim was a simple message. It was a pure message. It was a message of salvation through faith in his name. The Lord was simply repeating the words that had been given to him by the Father, words that were made ready hundreds of years before Jesus was even born into this world. You see, the very first promise of a Savior came way back in the third chapter of Genesis, right after the fall. You remember God comes walking in the garden in the cool of the day as he had done every day before, but this time things were different. Adam and Eve were hiding. They were hiding behind their clothes that they had made. That represents the righteousness that you and I have. It's not very good. They made it out of, Adam looked around and he said, well, there's some fig leaves over there. Let's sew that together and hide our nakedness. God came in and he talked to them and he confronted them with their sin. And then he gave the punishment for that sin to them, to Adam, from that day forward, he would have to toil in the thistles and thorns that grew. Listen, let me just stop right here a minute. People think that work, some, some people, maybe you, think that work was the punishment for sin. That's not true. Adam worked before sin. He, he, he tended the garden. He kept the garden. Uh, the, the punishment was that now your work is going to be hard. So it's not, I hear people say, if it hadn't been for Adam, we wouldn't have to work. That's not true. That is not true. Adam always worked. He worked in a perfect world. Now he was working in an imperfect world. That's why I can grow grass in the cracks of my sidewalk, but I can't grow it in my yard. Right? All right. Eve. Your desire is going to always be for your husband. And there's going to be much, much pain in childbirth. Oh, there's one more. Old serpent, I got something for you. There's going to come one. And you're going to bruise him on the heel. That's not, that's not life-threatening. <laughs> but he's going to stomp you on the head. That's deadly. And from Genesis 3:15 all the way through the rest of the Bible, the whole story of the Bible is about what? God reconciling the world to himself through Jesus Christ, his son. And so from the beginning the promise is repeated over and over and over. In the Old Testament, Jesus is prophesied. We find out in the Old Testament where he's going to be born. We find out in the Old Testament what his message is going to be. We find out in the Old Testament how they're going to kill him. In the Old Testament, he was prophesied. In the New Testament, the prophecy was fulfilled. And one day soon, 
the final prophecy will be fulfilled and the Lord Jesus will come and he'll take his children home to be with him in heaven. I want you to go with me. I want you to be a part of that. I don't want any one of you left behind. Jesus came according exactly to the plan that God had for them. And he came in love and he came to speak the message of salvation. What did he say to Nicodemus after telling Nicodemus? He said, you need to be born again. What's the very next thing he said to Nicodemus? He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It was a message of love and peace. Sometimes, I, I, sometimes I'm, I'm afraid that we get the idea that God, God loves to punish and condemn. He doesn't. That's not what the Bible says. We like to punish. We like to condemn because it's a whole lot easier. It makes us look better when we make somebody else look bad. Right? Makes us feel better about ourselves. At least I'm not as bad as Keith is. Well, honey, if that's your bar, I'm going to tell you, if your bar is just being better than me, that's a mighty low bar you've set for yourself. God doesn't desire to punish people. God doesn't desire to condemn people. God's desire is that all should come to know Jesus Christ in the fullness of his glory and spend eternity with him in heaven. God's message is a message of love. It is the love of God that brings the repentance into my heart. How could somebody who knows everything there is to know about me, you may think you know some things about me, and you may think I'm not a very nice person. I won't you to know something I'm worse than you think and yet in the midst of all of that the God of the universe looked down and says I love you and if you will repent of your sins and accept my son as Savior you will be forgiven of all of that and that is the message of the gospel that is the message we're supposed to be carrying to people our gospel is a clear message. It is right from the lips of Jesus himself. It is a shining truth that we give to anybody who's lost. And it can be seen by anybody who will open their eyes. It can be heard by anybody who will just have ears to listen. It is a free gospel. And it can be obtained by any needy heart. And you don't have to have money. And you don't have to have price to purchase it. Because you couldn't if you did. It is free to anyone who will repent and believe. It's a satisfying gospel. It satisfies the heart of all who come to Christ. I could give you testimony after testimony. You could stand and give testimony how when you got saved, your life was just radically changed. I mean, there are people all over the world who have been so touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ that it, 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 it satisfies people at every station of life. It, it satisfies people at every stage of development of life. If the gospel of Jesus Christ brings peace and brings satisfaction to everybody who will receive it. So what do you need to do this morning? Maybe you need to receive that message. Maybe you need to listen with spiritual ears today and hear the Holy Spirit say, I brought you here today so you could hear exactly what he said because what he said is exactly true and you need to be saved. Maybe that's you. Maybe you need to come this morning and surrender your life fully and freely to the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, I, I, I walked forward one time a long time ago and I, I shook preacher mine its hand. Or maybe it was somebody else and uh, I got baptized. No, 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 no. I, has there ever been a time in your life when you repented, truly repented of your sin and you surrendered your life to Jesus and said, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll say what you want me to say. And I'm going to be a witness of the transforming power of God in in my life I'm going to tell everybody who listen to me maybe you need to do that this morning maybe you've done it but you need to be a missionary maybe God's calling you to be a missionary I'm not talking about China although it could be I'm not talking about Brazil although it could be 
I'm not talking about Mongolia, although it could be. I'm talking about Seymour. I'm talking about Knoxville. I'm talking about Maryville. I'm talking about the street that you live on. Maybe he's calling you to be a missionary there. Maybe he's calling you to take this wonderful message of the gospel into a world that is lost and dying. Yes, they know about church. Yes, most of them have joined somebody's church. Yes, a lot of them have been baptized, but most of them are just as lost as a ball in high weeds. If they died today, if they died today, they don't know whether they'd go to heaven or not. Maybe you're here and you say, well, I don't know whether I'd go to heaven or not. Then come on down here and let's get that straight. Okay? Let's deal with it. But God is speaking to you. He's either calling you to be saved or he's calling you to be a missionary. Those are the only two options we got. Be saved or go. Once you are saved, then you got to go. And in a few minutes, I'm going to say, you ain't got to go home, but you can't stay here. Because we're going to shut this place down. And you got to go somewhere. So he may be calling you to go. Maybe he's calling you to be a preacher. Maybe he's calling you to be a, a Bible teacher. Maybe, I don't know what he's calling you to do. But you need to come and, and this morning say to this family, the Lord's called me. And I'm going to go. I'm going to Denver. I'm going to Ukraine. Listen, do you realize I went to Denver, what, two weeks ago? And one of the young men who went with, me to, went with us to Denver, uh, we came back on Sunday night. And on Thursday, he got on another plane. And now he's in the Ukraine. He understands what it means to go. Why? Because he wanted a trip. I'm going to tell you, that's not a fun trip. That's what you're after. That's not a vacation. When I got back from Denver, somebody said, how'd you enjoy your vacation? I said, I don't know. I didn't go on one. We worked. We walked up and down streets, putting door hangers on doors, talking to people, working in park, popping popcorn, making cotton candy. I didn't do that. I went back to get involved in all that. I talked to people on that. I let other folks get all that sugar up there. But I, they, I mean, they worked hard. Why, why would you do that? Because Jesus died on a cross so that we might have eternal life. And it is his desire that every single person in this world hears it and has the opportunity to respond to it. Let's pray together. Father, I pray now that we would put you in the center of our life. That the minor and extraneous things of this life would be put aside. And in the same way that you looked at Pilate and said, I was born for this, I've come into this world for this, help us to go into the world and say, this is exactly who Jesus is. This is what he came to do. This is what he's done in my life. And I want to share that with you this morning. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move among us now and that we would respond in faith to be saved in obedience to go to follow the greatest missionary who has ever walked this planet our savior jesus christ